Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Creative Income. I, of course, am your host, Lars Lindstrom. We've got a great episode today. Um, But actually, this was, for me, incredibly informative. Um, I'm always fascinated by the process of getting movies made. Um, You know, if you're not Paramount or Disney, it's, it's a miracle it even happens in the first place. That somehow someone goes out and says, I need... $500,000 to make this passion project that I wrote from nothing. So not only are are we going to make this thing, we're going to make it out of thin air. We're going to form this piece of art from the dust of the earth. I mean, it's just like (laughs) anytime a movie's made, it's a miracle. But um, Adam has uh, really created a career for himself. I mean, he came out to Los Angeles and started writing. And um, now he directs, he produces. Um, he also writes and works with incredible talent, um, for very incredible projects that he wills to happen. So we talk a lot about that in this episode. Uh, do me a favor. Um, think about three people you could share the podcast with this week and, uh, send it to them uh, as a private message or just chat with them about it. Um, I, I think I mentioned before, we're getting about 3000 downloads a month. I want that number two, three X, uh, by the end of the year. So I'd like everybody to share it with three people uh, at least once a week and maybe eventually when you actually listen to me and we do it it's going to be great and people will come so let's jump into the episode and let me know what you guys think here we go adam what's going on man what's up man it's good to see you uh thanks thanks so much for doing this i appreciate your time no problem i'm happy you seem busy are you are you how are you doing are you you, uh surviving right now after this post-strike uh business yeah, I mean, I shot a film during the strike, and then as you know, as soon as the strike ended, it was just absolute madness. All my projects like in hyperdrive, so I've been pretty busy. Yes. Yeah. How how'd you do that? How'd you f- shoot a film during the strike? We were the second film to get a waiver, so we were wow. it was independently financed, uh-huh. and yeah, we were literally the second film in existence to get a waiver. It was actually a pretty pretty hectic uh, hectic time. Because we were, was the, we were, I'm just curious what the process was like to get that waiver. <laughs> well, we were in production, so we okay. so w- we, when we went into to this film in like April, SAG we knew SAG was going to go on strike, so we talked to our rep and said, "Look, we're independently financed by just like a couple of friends. Like, what do we do if SAG goes on strike?" And they said, "You'll be fine. You're not one of the a struck company. You'll just get a waiver." when, when you're filming and we said, okay, great. The problem was they did in fact go on strike and they went on strike on a Thursday and we were shooting our days off were Monday and Tuesday. So Thursday night or they went on strike and then Friday we were hammering SAG like, Hey, we need to get this waiver. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll look at it like Monday. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're We're in production. We are on set. My actors can't work. I can't yeah. lose three days of shooting. So we, so I was just calling our SAG rep personally as the director, just hammering her and just like guilt tripping her and annoying the. Sh- I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here, but annoying. You're up. The- That's fine. Sure, sure, man. Annoying the fuck it. out of her until she and she didn't respond. And then at like eight p.m. 
or 9 p.m. on Friday night, we got our waiver. So we were like the second movie because they did prioritize the films that were actually in production. So we lost yeah. like we lost a day, but I you know went out and shot a bunch of B-roll and stuff that we did use in the film and animals and shit like that. So it worked. <laughs> it was fine. Where were you? Where were you shooting the film? This was in Arkansas, in Bentonville. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you say independently financed. Was there a production company attached at all, or is it like no, a, a minimum I mean, guarantee? No, just completely independent. No, we got a. We did get an MG from a sales agent. Uh huh. So yeah, and then we, but it was cash flowed not by like a, a traditional lender. It was cash flowed by independent, you know, by wealthy people. So, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm gonna hit a pause button on on. The production, and I'm gonna we're gonna go back in time a little bit. I, I want to start with uh, how you got started. I, I checked your IMDb page; it says you're very passionate. You were always passionate about films growing up. Um, I, yeah, I got started a while ago, um, back in I want to say like 2006. So I I moved to LA from Florida when I was like 19 or 20 to mm -hmm. with the intention of of being a novelist, right? <laughs> And I just wanted to write novels. I've always been a writer. And I started dating this girl and I love movies though. I've always loved movies. And I started dating this girl and she'd bring home her auditions and scripts and they were so bad. Always. And I was like, I could fucking write better than this in my sleep. And so sometimes I would clean them up for her. And then finally one day I was like, this is so easy. Like, this is just so like, like a monkey could do this. So I wrote, a script and I, my roommate at the time was a director. And so I wrote this script and I gave it to him and I was like, this is my first script ever. And he was like, dude, this is incredible. And I was like, Oh, you like it? He said, I want to direct this. I said, okay. So I just had this rich friend and I brought it to him and I was like, want to make a movie? And he said, yeah, what do we do? And I was like, I don't know. And he said, <laughs> how much do you need? I was like, I don't know. I have no clue yet. He said, how about, quarter of a million bucks. And I said, sure, that sounds, that sounds totally great. Reasonable. Yeah. Like cut the check at his house. I didn't even really have a bank account. I How just, did you have this rich friend? Talk to me. It's like, that's, that's it so was actually the father of, of a, one of my best friends in high school that I played football with. And okay. I helped his son um, with a, like a pretty significant drug problem that he had. And I kind of okay. helped him clean when we were kids. And so his dad loved me. I was like part of the family and huh. he was very rich and you know, he, didn't even know we were interested in movies. So we, we ended up, you know, we took the money and put it in an account and we hired this consultant, this, this funny, strange little man named Eric Sherman, who people, who I know been, Eric Sherman, Eric, <laughs> Eric passed away a couple years ago. Actually he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. But I, I, uh, I went to art center in Pasadena oh, and Eric, he was one of, yeah. he was a teacher we went there. there a couple times actually with our okay. movie. I'll never forget the first time I met Eric, man, we showed up at his little apartment in Glendale and, uh, -huh. We buzzed him and he goes, yes, come on up. And then yep. we came up and he opened the door and he was just in just tidy whiteies and nothing else and a cigar. Was he smoking a cigar? Yeah, the cigar. Like, yes. And so he consulted us and helped us to get the film, you know, made. And we, we were casting it and this kid came in and he was friends with the director and he hadn't done hardly anything. And he was just this kind of skinny, weird, squirrely little guy named Aaron Paul. And we loved him and we cast him and, <laughs> and this was pre breaking bad or anything. And then after our movie, he oh, played like my gosh. in our movie. And after our movie, breaking bad reached out to us asking for his footage from the movie because they wanted to see him playing a dry guy. And he was great. 
And so we made that and that was kind of the first and that was, it turned out okay. And it got out there and we did some festivals and stuff. And then. Did you ever make your money back from that film? No, the, because the, uh, the investor, he, he went with this sales company that I, I got a really bad feeling about. And I was like, I don't Mm. think you should go with these guys. And he did. And they then shortly after our movie, they, they sold it allegedly. And then they kind of went under and they like got sued by a bunch of people and they just kind of like disappeared. Like they went and, and so he didn't make his money back. So then my second movie, I wrote a script that I think was still think was one of my best scripts. And I gave it to another guy to direct and it just totally got ruined and never even got released. And, and I raised the money for it again. It was only like a fifty, sixty thousand dollars movie. It was nothing. Wow. And I was like, you know what? All right. How'd you do? How'd you do a film for fifty, sixty thousand? Uh, Adam, I'm sensing a theme already in this podcast. It's it. I feel like you're unstoppable. So I, you know, I definitely once I set my sights on something, I just get it done one yeah. way or another, and that's actually kind of what I've become known for. It's like when I actually really put my focus on a film, it gets made, and so I, people have started to bring me in on theirs to help them get theirs made. But, do you have any like secrets? <laughs> on, on like what what creates that is that just a personality trait I mean, or is there, is there something that, that you're doing or, or when consuming it's, when it's my work when it's my own films that i'm getting greenlit it's a combination of a lot of things and the two prominent the two most i would say prominent ones are i actually am a pretty good writer you know mm-hmm. so people do respond to my material and then i'm a pretty good salesman and and i and people can tell i don't bullshit them and i give it to them pretty straight and you know, give them, and I'm also, I also understand the business really well. And so I can give a very realistic best case, worst case, medium case on any film. And I, I, I always have the answers to people's questions. And also I'm just so passionate about my yeah. work and, and that is infectious with investors and, and people who want to become involved. So yeah, <laughs> that's, how I've gotten it done up to this point. Love it. Yeah. All right. So the sec- second film, Let's, uh, yeah, it was grand a disaster, and, I, and uh-huh. I was really upset about that one because that script was really good. And I said, mm. you know what, fuck this. If these movies are going to suck, I want them to suck my way. <laughs> I'm going to direct I, these. Yeah. yeah, I said, I've spent enough time on set. I'm going to direct one of these things. So I raised like 75 grand to shoot this really cool movie that was one location. It was it was like 12-day shoot. It took like five years off my life. Yeah, and sure. yeah. We no, no, you, you raised 75000 Is this from the same guy, the same rich friend? Yeah, it actually was the same okay, guy yeah. that did the okay. first one. And that one, he made his money. And it was a tiny little movie, tiny, tiny, tiny. And it, But it, it got out there, got a release and everything. And then I, after that, I had this script that that was kind of like I had people had read it. And it got me a manager and people really loved this script. Like it was kind of a script that I feel was my first great script that people mm. really loved. And I met this guy through a casting director named Sam Hewen. And at the time, he was nobody. He'd done like some plays in Europe and stuff. And Sam was obsessed with this script. He sent me this like pages long email and he said, I want to play the lead. And I said, cool, man, I don't know how to make this with you as the lead. I'm being told I got to get a big star for it. But sure, you know, I was like, let's try. So he messaged me on Facebook one day, he lived in Scotland, and he said, I just booked the show. Uh, and I think it's going to be a big show. And I hear that all the time. People are like, I'm yeah, on a big okay. show. And I'm like, no, you're not. But then I started seeing a bunch of friends posting him. And it, he was the lead on the show Outlander. He had been cast oh. as this. And I was like, oh, wow. And so 
I took it to my manager and I said, this guy wants to play the league. Can we make it with him? He said, I don't know. <laughs> this is a very strange story, by the way. So one day my manager, a couple months later, my manager calls me and he says, would you be down to cast Dr. Oz's daughter as the lead? And if you do, he'll, he'll finance the movie. And I said, I mean, can she act? And he said, I have no idea. So she got on a plane, came to LA, met with me and Sam and we loved her. She was great. Awesome. And I was like, and so I told Sam, I said, look, dude, she, if she, if you're okay to work with her, we have a movie. And he said, I'm, I'm down. So that movie was my first real movie. And it was like, it was like 400,000 bucks put up wow, by Dr. So- Oz and his, and his brother-in-law. And it was a nightmare. I mean, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I mean, it was Why? like at the, for, <laughs> at the, out of concern for saying really awful things about certain people, <laughs> they, were, okay. they, they really wanted to get me off that movie because they knew I was a first time director and Sam gotcha. kind of essentially was the only reason why I was able to actually finish and make that movie. Uh-huh. And they, my cut never got released. Like they did their own cut and everything. And so it was, it was shitty. And I learned a lot on that as far as like what I need to ask for and demand on a movie. What uh, talk to me about some of those lessons. Oh man, final cut. And, and if you can't get final cut as a director, make sure you really know who you're working with and, and, and it make sure that like, there's three tiers of final cut as a director that you can get. One would be you having final cut as the director. And that's, that can be challenging unless you are the one that's essentially like raised a bunch of the financing for it. Second tier would be mutual cut, but, but it has to be mutually approved. Meaning if the producers like you have to agree still, you know what I mean? Like both sides have to be okay with it. So it kind of forces you to compromise. And then the worst scenario was the one I was in, which was the producers have final cut and you have no say over what goes out and the movie's going to fucking suck. Um, So yeah, I learned that lesson for sure. Do you, do you think that you could have negotiated a final cut in the contract, even as a first time director though on that? No, not with those guys. They were too powerful. They, they're, they're, I mean, I got, (laughs) This is what I would have to tell you off the podcast, but I got, I tried to sort of like throw my weight around to, to save that movie and got pretty hard stomped by people that were, I couldn't piss off. I mean, because wow. again, like these are guys who are with some of the biggest agents at CAA and these are really wow. wealthy, you know, film financiers that are making a lot of movies. And, you know, <laughs> it just was, it, it, it was a shitty experience. Let's put it that way. But yeah. when we get lunch, we'll talk more about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll tell you the horror stories of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I learned so, about so four hundred grand. Uh, the film came did out. It have a production company uh, end up buying it. Yeah, it went to Cinedime and they released it. And you know, people liked that movie. I, I hated the cut, and it wasn't mine. And Sam didn't like the cut, and it was. It was definitely, you know, not great, but it, it went out and I still get messages from people who liked it. And, you know, and it was, it, there's little glimmers in it of what my vision was. And I love it. It's one of my babies. And so, you know, yeah. And, and so I learned a lot. And so then the next film I made was, so uh, dur- during this time, I, you know, I was married and had a survival gig and I was a private investigator for a long what? time. Almost, yeah. Almost like. 12 years I was licensed as a PI. This was my survival job. And yeah. 
And people, every time I'd meet with somebody in the industry, like, you got to write a script about this. And I was like, I don't uh-huh. want to. Like, this is my day. Like, this is my life. Like, I don't, it's, yeah. it's boring and shitty to me. I sit in my car outside people's houses. But then finally, I came up with this idea just kind of about how boring and shitty and awful this sort of like life is and in, in, in the city and the insurance industry. And so I wrote this script called Sargasso. And I put, I, I, raised the money for it again. I got um, Tom Berenger, which was hilarious, and Jeremy Sumter for that one. And okay. and it turned out great. And I actually, I loved that movie when it came out. And it was very low budget. It was like, it was like 250 or so, I think. And we shot it local, mostly in places where I had actually worked as a PI. So I was able to get us a lot of deals and stuff like that. On locations and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I was proud of that film. And then so then 250 I still up. 250 still not a lot of money to make a no. feature film. I know. No, um, I know. So what kind of are you producing these films as well? Do you get producer no, credits? No, I, w- I was I wasn't taking producer credits on them at the time because I didn't really understand it. I didn't want to be like writer, director, producer. But yeah, I mean, I was raising all the funds for them and doing. Yeah. So how, how are you? How what are you doing specifically to make sure that a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fund? can make a feature film. So what well, favors are you calling? Who are you like, what are yeah, you doing? I mean, there's favors. And then also a lot of it is just sheer force of will. And just mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a big part of it, honestly, and, and this has become a lot more prevalent for me on my last couple films, which have had much bigger budgets. is just being fucking cool to your crew. You know what I mean? Ooh, like, like my crew, that. my crews will die for me. And mm-hmm. it's because I actually treat them really well. I take care of them. I don't go over time and I, and I host and I like, I don't make their lives miserable. And, and so like, mm-hmm. it really buys you a lot of latitude with regard to like what you can accomplish, like, mm-hmm. you know, getting into it on, on my feature that I did in the UK, the, the my biggest film to date, you know, the, the one with Simon Pegg and many Nander, Yeah. Nander photo. It was, like million, yeah. it was like a $5 million movie. And we did that. And the, the crew, I mean, I still get emails two years later. That was the best production they ever worked on. And I got, mm. I got the ultimate compliment from my gaffer, this lovely giant of a man named Gary. And he was Scottish. Mm. I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> he had four teeth. And he, at the end of production, he said, Adam, you should give a, you should give seminars to other directors on how to not be a cunt. <laughs> perfect. Man. That's, that's the ultimate compliment from a Scott. So, so oh, no, that's the best to answer your question. Like, yeah, like yeah. don't like take care of your crew. And then a lot of it is just sort of force of will and being it. And like another aspect, because one of the things that really inflates film budgets, honestly, is just actors and like the, mm. the below the line on almost any film these days is somewhat uniform. I mean, depending on what the yeah. film is, because there's like outside of just like, crazy practical effects, which people don't even really do anymore, or, you know, massive set pieces and builds, which people don't really do anymore. It's all kind of the same. It's like, yeah, you, you know what you're doing. And then there's like VFX that in some capacity or another. And so, you know, most films are going to have a BTL of two to two, two to five million bucks, like two being at the sort of normal and then five being at like the high. And then everything What's else BTL? Uh, below, below, the line. below the line. Yeah. yeah. Everything else is cast. And so that comes down to, you know, how much actors like the script and how much they like you and being willing to take, to do it for a bit less, you know, I mean, that's really how you make it work. 
on these films is just getting actors for a reasonable price. What was the, is, is that what made um, Nandor uh, uh, a $5 million film? Because you had a star-studded yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one was about $5 million and it was, that was a period piece. So, you know, and shooting in England is, is inherently a bit more expensive than shooting here. And yeah, yeah is that I just mean, because I'm, crew is a little bit more expensive, locations yeah, more expensive, just, equipment. Yeah, it's a little more because the conversion rate, you know, right. it, it's just a bit, you know, pounds are worth a little bit more. And yeah, you know, because we didn't, it wasn't like Simon or Minnie or, or any of them were getting rich off that movie. I mean, they mm-hmm. Simon got paid probably less than his normal quote, less than he makes on Mission Impossible. I can assure oh, of you, of course. That. Yeah, but you know, he liked the script. Some, yeah, it wasn't that. It was kind of like we did have to put a lot below the line to to make a movie in the 1930s. Anytime you have a period piece, there's just every shot has to make sense in that capacity. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that's how you do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. how you do it, guys. Yeah, you go from $250,000 films to $5 million films, and, and that's it. Well, that's just do it. There was one in between. I did make a movie for $2 million. That was the one with John Malkovich and Rosa mm. Salazar and Thomas Mann. And that one, I had a new, I had a partnership at the time with someone that she uh, really was passionate about film and about me and wanting to make movies. And so we did it, and it was great. And, um, you know, and then we, we were, we had a, we had a big plan to make more and then she passed away pretty suddenly, mm-hmm. which was really fucked up. And so that was pre Nandor. That was, that we, you know, we did Chariot. It was great. And, you know, yeah. And th- so that one we did with all equity and which was awesome. And that was, Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She was her money. She wanted to do it. And I said, okay. And so we did that one for about 2 million. We got Malkovich and that was kind of the first domino. And that's also how it works with a lot of these things as far as like, making them is just that first actor that comes on like on Nandor mm. it was Simon and as soon as Simon wanted to do it and agreed then everybody else wanted to work with Simon and it was very easy to put an awesome cast of supporting characters around him mm. I want to talk to you a, a little bit about I, I want to know what it's like to be a fly on the wall in the room when you pitch these to investors um yeah I mean the first thing there, there are some like very like solid pieces of just advice I can offer to people who are pitching their work. The first is I mean, there's, there's a couple that people won't like because I guarantee right now they're doing the opposite of what I've told them to, what I will tell them to do. And like, that's, it, 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 but these are immutable, immutable laws. I'm telling you right now, like they, they just are. The first is you're, I have yet, like you'll get a lot of these quote unquote investors who they just ask for like a package. They're like, send me a deck and uh, yeah, my, my, like a lot of times you'll be dealing with these guys through a broker, right? Yeah. You know, you'll meet somebody and they'll say, I've got an investor or I've got whatever, right? I've never actually had a successful film financing transaction where I didn't look in the eye of the person who cuts the check and talk to them about filming my movie. It's never Mm -hmm. worked going through a third party ever in all my experience for little bridges and stuff, maybe, but not to like actually get a chunk of financing and equity on film. The second is, you know, a lot of times these, these brokers and stuff will say, Oh, you know, like 
just send a deck. Yeah, he's too busy. Like he probably won't read a full script. I've yet again to ever have an investor invest in a film where he hasn't read the script ever. Like they're going to read the script. And the third is, well, the, the, the third is if you ever hear somebody say they have a film fund, they don't have a film fund. Film funds <laughs> exist. There's no such fucking thing. I've been doing this 20 years. If someone says, I've got a film fund, run for the hills. There's no film funds. Film funds okay. are studios. Those are the film funds. There's no yeah. film And then the last is a lot of times, like, have you heard of this investor? Like, can you Google them? Are they on IMDb? Hmm. And a lot of times they're not. And, and they'll be like, yeah, he like is kind of behind the scenes. As, if it looks like a rat and squeaks are like a rat, it's probably a rat. You, your first you're, couple films, though, didn't have IMDb credits. What's that? Because it, your, your first couple funded films didn't have IMDb yeah, credits. They do. Yeah. They do? Daydreamer yeah. and, and – No, I'm saying the, the investors. Did the investors oh. have – Yeah. Yeah, but, but I, I guess it was contacts was outside right? of the industry. Like, because because yeah. I'm saying, like, if you're dealing with somebody that is an industry investor, like, they're going to be on IMDb. You're going to be able to see who they are. And they yeah. are, the investors are on IMDb now for executive okay. producer. Of course, yeah. yeah. They just hadn't been at the time, but I knew who they were. And this was a personal friend. So that's, that's yeah. a little bit different. But if you're out here and you're pitching your thing and you're meeting with brokers and you're going to markets and doing all this stuff. And they're like, I got this guy and I got this guy who funds movies. Like do your research and find out who the person is and make sure you can actually find them. Those are all sort of like the, the, those are like my pre-check boxes that I look at before I'll even meet, think about meeting with someone. Okay. I actually meet with someone, you know, the first thing I obviously gauge is, what their threshold is and what they're trying to do. And, and, tr- and I try to get what their buttons are going to be because there's really only a couple financial reasons to diversify into film investing. There's only a few. One is, you know, sure, there is the like oil strike potential, which I don't even really try to talk to investors about because the statistical likelihood is just so fucking low. And, you, and yeah. Like, uh, rather than be like, hey, Napoleon Dynamite, you know, the Blair Witch Project, <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. But you can yeah. say, look, at, at some of the major festivals and otherwise, there are films that are selling profitably and some of them are doing these massive sales. There's usually only maybe 10 to 12 a year that do that. Yeah. And it's mostly the streamers these days, but they do happen. So there is mm-hmm. that potential, but I don't use that as part of my pitch. The, the, the biggest, the way that I usually will pitch a, a film is... Like, look, it does have that upside, but let's not even think about that. Like, most likely the film is going to do well, but based on the performance of me, like how good of a film I can make. And so beyond the like oil strike potential, one of the advantages to film financing is that, you know, you are still making a piece of art. And if you do make something great, whether it strikes and is a home run when it first comes out or not, doesn't matter if it's quality and people are aware of it and it has actors in it that people love. It does have the potential to make money for a long time. And mm. like my, one of my best friends is David Mickey Evans. He wrote and directed the Sandlot. I mean, he makes money off that movie 30 years forever because it's still yeah. making money. You know, it's still being shown in places and that's not completely atypical, especially for like a movie like Nando with Simon Pegg. Like he's such a beloved actor and he's yeah. got so many hits and people are always like, I want to see a Simon Pegg movie, you know, and, and so that's why the the attaching big stars is so coveted because the, there are people who want to see films with famous actors. And honestly, the third 
that I found and was shocked was such a thing is just everybody loves movies and they want to be involved and they want to come be on set. They want to be on set. They want to meet that famous actors. They want to bring their kids, their families to, yeah. Yeah. And they did. And, And I, you know, on my last film, I had an investor come in and he put in like 300 grand or something and he came out to set and he was there for like a week and his wife came out and his, you know, and he's like, I don't care if I make my money back dude. this is the most fun experience. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to still make you your money back and that's great. But you know, but it's true though. Like they do want to be able to see their name in the credits and go to the festivals and tell like rich people in general, reach a, reach a point, you know, where, where they've got 50 or a hundred million bucks and they really have more than they're going to be able to easily spend. And then they just want to outreach each other and be able to tell their buddies on their street. That I'm they making movies them. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I made a movie with, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and he's my boy and we're going to go golf, you know, like, and it's yeah. a big thing though. Like they yeah. want to do that. And it, and so then it becomes like, it's almost like, am I, they, they're not like any, any investor I, I talked to who, if they are strictly financially motivated and they're like, I just made my first million. I want to put it in film so I can make a ton of money. I'm like, here's the thing, like maybe consider real estate or something like that. That's a yeah. little bit safer. If it's somebody who has a ton of money and they're aware of the risks and they are, their viewpoint is more like, I don't, I want to make some money over time. And I, but in, more importantly, I want to be involved in film and I, and as long as I'm not losing money and if I'm making something and maybe one of them hits and then I do make a ton of money, great, but they're not, but they have a more realistic expectation. That's what I look for in investors rather than the like, you know, strictly financial, like stockbrokers. Talk to me about uh, what you look for in when you're hiring crew for film. So I'm a cinematographer. That's that's what I do. Yeah. And it's like, so when you're looking for a cinematographer, what sorts of things are you looking for? In, it's in funny. I actually just, so I'm producing sort of like acting more of like a creative consultant for an actress named Bella Thorne. She was the lead in my last film and yeah. I've become a really good friend. And she's directing her first feature. She's done some shorts and she wrote it and it's great. And she is meeting with DPs and she said, what should I look for in a DP? And I said, okay, look, so there's obviously the basic things on an indie. Like, are they fast? Like, that's number one. Like, you know, that, that is, well, first of all, are they good? Which obviously (laughs) with them, if they're not, are they fast? The third one kind of surprised her when I said this, I said, do they want to be a director? Ooh. And she said, oh, fuck, that's a good question. Because yeah. I have had nightmares working with a DP who wanted to be a director. Yep. Because it just it, – it, the ego just really gets in the way and it, and it starts to cause problems. And How do you feel about asking that same question to first AD? Um, I mean <laughs> the first AD from my experience doesn't – they interact with the actors but it's in a much more of a like – be on set at this time type of thing. They're not, they're not working with me as the director in a creative sense. Mm. My first AD is much more like, did you get the shot or behind, you know, whatever, like, and so they are there, but in a, like the, for me, the, the cinematographer is the most powerful creative position on the film, you know, it's aside from the director who really right. is more like the overseer of everything. Right. So yep. that one is challenging. If, if you are running into creative 
directorial discussions. Because That's a crazy my, good question. That's a crazy good question. My general philosophy on a film is everybody do their job and do just mm-hmm. their own job and do it well. I, I came to directing from the writing world. I have no fucking clue how to light a scene. I have no clue how to make a scene look a certain way. That is my DP's job. Yeah. And I don't tell them how to do that. What I do, the way I work with my DP, and I have a DP and she's lovely and I've done my last two films with her. And she's Sarah, yeah. Yeah, Sarah. The way yeah. I work with Sarah is I say, okay, look, I this is what I want to convey in this scene. This is what's happening. Is there any way we could be creative with shooting, with how we how we cover it, how we light it, that could subtly help me to convey that? That's how I work with her because I trust her a lot more with how to light a scene and make it look. Yeah. So usually on a film, I'll have like maybe throughout the whole film, eight to 10 sort of shots that I have in my mind. But even those I'm pretty flexible on because I know they're going to be location contingent. So yeah, like, exactly. you know, so, so I'll, I'll pitch those to her, but it's me pitching them to her. She's the DP. Like, it's not my, you know, it's not my job to, to tell her like, this is how you like, and that goes for every department. And I, and so what I try to do is just really explain my vision and what I'm trying to accomplish to the department heads and then let them do their job and be artists. And like, again, like, and my actors too, especially like, yeah, those, I mean, those have been my, my best experiences on set when the director just kind of says, trust them. You're the, you're the artist here. You're yeah. the professional. Like I'm going to deal with my actors. You, yeah. you, you have the script, you know what's happening. Am I gonna like, tell- why don't you just convey the story yeah. uh, visually? Yeah. Am I going to tell John Malkovich how to act? <laughs> Fuck out of here. That guy's forgotten no. more about acting than I'll ever know. So what I do with yeah. him is we discuss it and we talk about it before filming. And we talk and we prep and I, and he says, you know, and I say, you know, look in this scene, like I want to convey this. And he said, okay, what if I was to take my, uh, you know, and, and then I'm like, yes. And his, and the instinct. Go go for it. Right. Yeah. And then if we're on set and something that it that an actor a choice an actor makes is i can see that in the edit i'm not sure if it's going to work it's inconsistent with something yeah yeah i'll just try to get another sort of variation you know and and so just so i have the option and honestly a lot of the times even in that scenario they're right and and Mm. even though in my mind but at least i have it and sometimes i'm right on that and i'm like okay i'm glad that i had them do it this other way and i've never had friction from an actor on that i mean again like simon's another version of of uh, Malkovich who's just done so many movies and is so experienced and so good that like, you know, there was a scene on Nandor where he was doing it a certain way. And I just said, fuck man, I feel like I'm going to just want to see this other way. And he came and he's like, yeah, you're right, dude. It was a good choice to get that. And I ended up using his version in the cut, Oh wow. but it yeah. was still like, you know, I'm still glad I got it. And he understood mm-hmm. why I was getting it. So nice. Yeah. What advice do you have for young creatives starting out? I mean, there's, there's a couple of broad philosophical pieces of advice I can offer. One is, I mean, of any quality you could have, like persistence has to be, just be the one, like, Hmm. like nothing makes me happier than people who I knew back in the day who left the industry and went, cause they get, they couldn't cut it and they gave up and then they, find me on Instagram or someone like, Oh dude, Adam, you're still doing it. You're still the, I'm like, of fucking course I am. Oh, was I going to give up? Like you have to have a, you got to be a lifer if you really truly want to like have a shot at making it. And if you, if it's an option for you or if you're not sure, or if you're doubting yourself too much, like 
you, it, it can take a while. I mean, it doesn't have to, but it can. And so you gotta be, you, you gotta be pretty persistent and you gotta be willing to fail 8,000 times. You know, the other sort of philosophical broad things that I'll do is like, if you're coming into the industry, pretty, pretty green, it's a little daunting because there's all this established stuff, you know, there's all these guys and people, women and what, got all these credits and they've made these movies and and it's just like it's like what lynch portrays in mulholland drive it's like this nebulous sort of like almost like a secret society of like these like successful people and you're just like how the fuck did they get there and and it can pervade you with this sense of like everybody knows better than you you know like because they've been doing it a while it's not true nobody out here knows what the fuck they're doing (laughs) and and not only that but common sense is still key. And if you, you will experience right away all these situations that just don't make sense, but you trust them because you're dealing with people who a lot of times have the statistics to back it up. And so you'll meet with a guy and he's financed 10 movies and he's asking you to go catch like a rare white dove from Madagascar and then he'll finance your movie. And you're like, Okay, well, this doesn't make sense, but look, I mean, it's this guy. Look, he's won an Oscar. No, no, like people, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. So, so trust your own common sense and instinct. And if something doesn't make sense, it's probably bullshit and you should be very wary of it. And you do know more than you think you know about what you need to be doing. Hmm. How'd you get this $5 million film? I want to, I, I, uh, yeah, Nandor. So Nandor was basically Simon. I mean, essentially, like I brought in a little bit of equity to that one, but basically. You personally or people you know? People I know. This is my honest, like sort of, every movie I make at this point is the same strategy. I raise enough equity to back pay or play offers to big name talent, attach the big name talent, and then finance the rest of the movie based off them. And I mean, that's it. And it's unbelievably difficult. Interesting. It's so it's unbelievable. Use, it as, use it as like leverage. It's like a yeah. loan. But, yeah. and, it, and, and essentially like, okay, look, so let's say my next movie, I, I, can, I raise a million dollars in equity. Okay, cool. So now I'm going after million dollar actors. Like who, mm-hmm. who's an actor? And my budget is five, right? You yeah. know, cool. So, so I know I need to find an actor that I can pay a million dollars, but who will pre-sell or – has the the quote unquote value? You'll hear this term all the time about an actor's value of of around three about three million dollars because then you'll also get a tax credit and those are the three kind of elements of any Adam Siegel film that's being made is <laughs> equity, usually some kind of either a presale where it's an actual you know signed MG that we're fi- financing or better case it's like estimates that somebody's willing to to finance against knowing that the film has intrinsic value and then a tax credit. And so it's what I'm doing on the film I'm doing right now. I've, I've raised a big chunk of equity and I'm casting and like the, the challenge with that. And again, it's unbelievably hard because you have to kind of get the sweet spot of an actor who has that kind of value that you need is right for your film is it the point? Is it the right spot in their career where they'll do a movie like yours, 
and whose agent will actually give it to them. Because dealing with agents in Hollywood is the worst thing in the world. I don't wish it upon my worst enemy. <laughs> and, you know, those are the kind of challenges. And that's why it's so hard to make a movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's – and even harder to make a good movie. And it's almost impossible to make a movie with stars in it, you know? Yeah. Because the, it's, it's either very financially motivated. And then you get these movies where – they all have the same actors and we know who they are. There's about 20 of them who will just work for money right now. Yep. And you, you look at these budgets. I just saw one recently and it was a $12 million movie and the below the line was 1.5 million. So it's like, you know, actors cast, getting paid yeah. 8 million and the director getting 3 million, you know, and I'm like, come on, dude, this is not a movie. Like this is like a, almost like a pyramid scheme. Like you're just like, and what sucks is that that film, you know, is pre-bought because that actor is a big star and it's going to just be horrendous because yeah. it's, they don't have enough money to make the movie. But that's, you know, that's a, a lot of what's out there right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. Did you, how did you get uh, Saban uh, that, yep. uh, that uh, financed the rest of so, uh, Nandor? So with Simon, so, and that was like, so usually what will happen is even if you have money and even if you're have some credits and have a good script and everything, nine times out of 10, it'll just die with the agents. The agents here in LA are just the fucking antichrist. Like they don't, they don't, they're, they're awful. I mean, they don't work. I complain to my manager about it constantly. Like they, yeah. they don't do anything. Like all they do is stop films from getting made. And there's a complexity to it because I do understand it on some level. Like, they get a script with an offer of a million dollars, right? And and they, okay, technically they're supposed to then send that to their client. In the good old days, that's what they would do. But it's more complicated now because they don't, there's so many offers that are coming in. They don't know if it's real. They don't know if it's actually happening. What they don't want is to then send that to their client, have their client read it, love it, and then it's bullshit and the movie is not yeah. happening. So I get it from that perspective. But yeah. even me, who I can show them the money sitting in an account, I can show them I've made movies with big stars before. Still, half the time the agents will just be like, uh, you'll, you'll send it, you won't hear anything for two weeks, and then they'll be like, yeah, they didn't respond to the material. And then I'll run into that actor at a party a year later and be like, that sucks, we couldn't work together. And like, I've never heard of your script ever. Yeah, that's I've never seen that script before in my life. Every yeah. time. So, like, with Simon, you know, Simon's a massive star. And yeah. sent the script to his agent, and about two weeks later, they said, hey, Simon loves the script. He wants to Zoom with you. I said, okay. We got on a Zoom. He was lovely. He's like, I want to do this. I love the script. You seem awesome. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. He was the easiest cast. He's the biggest star I've ever worked with and the easiest casting, you know, which, mm-hmm. was, which was shocking. And, you know, I think that a part of that, sad as it is, is because we dealt with his UK agent. Uh-huh. And the agents in the UK are a little different. They... They, I mean, the industry in the UK is a little different because it's a little smaller and, you know, they care a little bit more about the quality of a script and a director rather than just the financial aspect of it because they, they have a broader view, which I think is actually better for their clients in the long run. For sure. And actors are different in the UK too. It's more of a career. It's more of like a thing you study for and learn and do plays and all that stuff. And then you, you know, start doing film rather than like, I was on TikTok and now I'm fucking the lead in a movie, you know, like it's, it's, just a, it's a slightly different path yeah, there. Yeah. And I think that's reflected at the agencies. So yeah, I mean, we attached Simon and then Simon doesn't do a lot of movies. He's very picky. And 
So Savon and Signature jumped on it. They were like, oh, yeah. Simon Pegg movie, and it's a cool script. Yeah, I mean, we're in. And, and then we were able to finance it based off of their MGs, essentially. Gotcha. Yeah. I have a million questions that I that I know I'm going to immediately think of the second we hang up this podcast, but uh, I, I think I think I'm good, man. I, I this is a very informative episode for me. There's like there's so much about financing and MGs and all these things that that I feel like there's so many people that want to know. Yeah, like that what's going very, on behind the scenes. No, I mean that part is a lot, and I and I know it very well now at this point. I've done it a couple of times, and I get it, and I, I've seen it, and I know what to do, and I know how to do it. It's just a matter of, yeah, like reach out to me. You know, I'm, I, I, if it, if you have a cool project, I do like to help people with their projects. If I identify with it, obviously I'm pretty busy right now, but I'll always help nurture a, a great script or a really dope filmmaker. So awesome. What's no your, how do you want people to reach out? Is Instagram the best Instagram, method? That's the best. That's the only thing I'm active on. I post stuff with my movies and other dumb shit on there. And yeah, I mean, by all means, just message me and ask if I can help you. Cause you know, if I have time and if your project is good, then sure. I feel like I, I, I keep thinking back to the first thing you said, the first story of um, helping this guy's son out. And, yeah. and all I all I can think of is you've built a career off of essentially being kind. Yeah, and and that's another piece that I actually forgot on the on the philos- on the broad philosophical side of helping new people coming out of the industry. Right? There's also a sense, other than the like everybody knows what they're doing, and there's this big sort of thing. Also, there's a sense when you're sitting across from someone that is known or is a famous actor or an investor or, or rich or whatever. That they're this like inhuman thing. Like this mm. is just a person, dude. They're going through all kinds of shit in their life. And if you can identify with them on a personal level, and if you can talk to them about their day and talk to them about what's going on in their life and actually have a human conversation, they're going to remember you and they're going to want to work with you. Rather than like, you know, it, it, like don't forget that this industry is just a bunch of people trying to make movies. And like if you can remember that and just like get along with people like it'll you'll go along with I, a lot of my career is just because people like me and i don't know why but it's like no it's true like i i'm i'm i care about people and and like i and i'm generous and i'm helpful and i like i tr- i try to help them in return you know and so like that goes a long way this was fantastic thank you so much adam for being on the podcast absolutely let's, uh, let's meet up soon and grab some lunch let's do it i'll tell you the other horror stories yeah you got it all right dude All right. Thank you guys so much for sticking around to the very end. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. Let me know if uh, on Instagram you want to message me. I'm jlarsl on Instagram or the Creative Income Podcast. Um, I want to hear where you're from. I want to hear what kind of projects you're working on. And I want to hear about uh, what hardships maybe you're going through and and what sorts of things you'd like to to hear more about in future episodes. Um, Okay. I think that'll wrap us up. We'll see you guys next week.